don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. Don't be scared to dip your toes in the water, but have the mechanisms in place in order to cast the net out, but be able to reel it back in fast should you need to. It's the first time we're sitting down to record in 2021, and we are joined by Ben Lancaster Nigera, who is a managing consultant at Deloitte Digital, where he advises brands in the banking industry and naturally spends a lot of time encouraging tightly regulated industries to explore social. Yes, not every brand can move at the speed of their most disruptive competitors, but it's becoming more evident that the red tape in regulated markets may need to flex to help brands move further into social. In this podcast, we spoke to Ben about why tech can resemble a bowl of spaghetti, the point in which brands may not be able to keep up with consumer demand, and why it makes sense for companies in regulated spaces to have a campaign kill switch. It's not so easy to quickly just like plug and play. It's more of a let's plug, let's test, let's do situational testing, let's do a crisis management testing, etc., etc. All this and more coming up. What can banks and under threat retailers do to avoid being left behind? Uh, so very interesting question. I think at the moment, it's pretty difficult um, for any industry to sort of work out what's going to happen in the future and try and plan for it. Um, I think that in order to sort of not be left behind at the moment, um, something that I'm really sort of focusing on or doing a lot of research in is sort of consumer behavior, especially for retailers and, and, and banks and other sort of regulated industries. I think um, ensuring that you are sort of understanding your consumers and reacting to their behaviours as much as they're changing to ensure that um, you are um, meeting their expectations, building the correct relationships with them, and also um, starting to build advocacy with them. I think at the moment, there is no... um, uh, well, it's very difficult to start building advocacy with your your consumers because you haven't really got a physical presence. You can't have your sort of frontline staff um, providing a really positive experience, positive ambience, etc. So it's really important in order to keep your consumers engaged with you to kind of build this advocacy and prove to them that you're there for them. I think that consumer behavior has changed so much from a sort of, uh, we just go to something because it's there or a brand can sit there and think we are here, customers will come to us. I think given the sort of the change over the past year with the pandemic, unfortunately, we've all had to adapt so much. And I think if you were to sit down and think, I want to do some internet shopping as a consumer, where would you go to? You could go to like the three or four brands that you sort of affiliate with the most. I know certainly for myself, I've only bought clothes from one brand over the past year because they keep telling me there's a sale um, and I just keep going and I go on there and I I, I buy the the clothes from there because there's a sale. So I think um, to avoid being left behind, I think there's things that brands can be doing to ensure that they're kind of engaging with their customers, reminding customers that they're there for them. And um, as I said, building that advocacy and, and kind of trying to keep in the forefront of your consumers' minds to make sure they remember you essentially. And Ben, you mentioned regulated companies. So why why does it take so much longer, do you think, for major companies in these regulated industries to adopt new tech? So I think the from what I've seen, so I've worked predominantly with sort of regulated industries over the past three or four years. And I think the key thing that obviously stands in the way of adopting new tech is, is regulations. Um, and I think uh, on top of the regulations, it's a bit difficult because if you kind of look at the technical infrastructure, I'm going to get technical in a minute, um, the, the existing infrastructure and legacy systems in these regulated industries, especially financial institutions, is quite old and doesn't necessarily support sort of quick, agile plug-in technology which, that we see in the marketplace or digital marketplace at the moment. 
So yeah. I think it's a bit like I have this um, sort of analogy where I describe it as a bowl of spaghetti and it's almost like you've ma- you've mixed up your spaghetti all together. But what you essentially need to do is you need to try and pull and separate the different pieces of spaghetti out from each other in order to understand what's driving what and what can be changed. So I think that is a, is a, is a barrier that I see, especially in my work all the time. That and also the fact that um, another analogy is I feel that as sort of big regulated industries have had, or so companies in regulated industries have tried to adapt to, to the changing in behavior, they tend to sort of get quick pieces of technology and they bolt them on. So I like to also think of it as like a plug. So you put a plug in a wall, but that plug is no longer going to going to do everything because maybe you bought a TV, but then you also bought um, a soundbar. So you need to add an adapter onto that plug so you can put a TV and soundbar in, but then you bought maybe a PlayStation. So where are you going to put that? So you need to get another plug. So I feel that after a while, you can quick get like these solutions and you can bolt them on. But essentially, what you end up again is with your bowl of spaghetti. So um, yeah. it tends to cause a bit of a bit of a mess. But I think those are the two key things that, that regulated industries struggle in. Um, I think also when it comes to social, though, I think um, and sort of social engagement, especially for financial institutions. Well, I think in regulated industries, social has a sort of stigma to it, where it's sort of people are have a fear of being exposed or a fear of exposure. And I think sometimes people look at it and look at the risks associated with being on social um, and they think those risks outweigh the benefits of being on social. Um, so I think what they end up doing is someone drives it to go on social to sort of let's be there for consumers, let's be online. But then the amount of approvals and the processes that they sort of um, build around it can t- sometimes be a bit cumbersome especially if they've been lifted and shifted so for example if you like have an approval process for approving content on the website but you try and replicate that for approving for social it's not fast enough and you're going to end up sort mm-hmm. of falling. so i think it kind of ends up being a bit of a barrier um and all of that i think overall just tends to mean it's a long a longer lengthier setup um so yeah. that with sort of cultural barriers to change just sort of helps well it, it doesn't help these industries to sort of quickly be like oh no we need the technology let's let's get it no i mean you mentioned a few risks there that you think people in these industries associate with social could you maybe give us a few examples of, of what they consider to be risky yes i can i think the key thing is so with the exposure is well what ha- if we go on social and we post something and people don't like it it's going to be received quite badly and people will attack us and I think they kind of see it as like it's a sort of it's an open face um, and people get worried that they won't be able to handle it. And also, I think we all know or we all read in the news, especially in the, over the past couple of years, companies that have done things on social that haven't gone very well and they just open themselves to attacks. So I think that's the, the biggest risk um, overall. I think in terms of financial institutions, their risk, I think, is because it's actually down to do with data. And I think if you look at sort of modern customer care and the way that sort of customers expect to, to speak to brands, um, I think a lot of banks don't like being able to converse one-to-one with a customer because they're really worried about the data aspect. And they're also regulated mm-hmm. by the FCA and stuff. So I think they always see that as like, it's a risk, we can't do it. Um, data, no. Uh, and actually, I, I hear that a lot from from our clients. Data, no, can't do it, can't be on social. And it takes a bit of educating them to realize, actually, data, especially using social, it's in the public domain. So um, if you're conversing or engaging with consumers, obviously on an open channel, it is, it's, it, you're not really subject, they've already opted into the social channel. But um, if you obviously start to have a more in-depth customer conversation um, around sort of maybe bank account numbers, take it off social if you're worried about it and pick up the phone or give them a phone 
number so they can call you and do that so it's, it's a bit of an education piece but it's definitely a risk yeah. that, they, that they, they're scared of yeah it's sort of an age-old argument that Theo and I have encountered several times to be honest where companies and, and not just companies you know people get mixed up and caught up in this idea of uh, what data is on social and then mix it up with personal private information the kind of stuff that you would talk about with your bank which of course you can understand I don't think I'd feel comfortable giving my bank details over Facebook Messenger but you know any any reputable company is not going to allow that I think and I think it's it's interesting what you said but maybe a bit of a shame that they seem to be concerned about the risks of say attacks for getting something wrong I actually think social audiences especially of late have become a bit more forgiving because we're used to seeing so many brands put themselves out there now. It's a bit commonplace that if if a tweet or something isn't up to scratch, they'll get a slap on the wrist. But people will move on. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that's that's a really good point that we are as consumers, um, we are also sort of more receptive to some mistakes, and we're like, oh, whoops. Um, and also, um, we obviously some people are very quick to put their socials to to put their um, to kind of say, oh, here's my bank account number on an open channel. Um, but it's up to the bank then to be like, whoops, maybe you shouldn't have done that. We'll delete that for you, etc. But as a consumer, you go, oh, yeah. great. Actually, you're on it. You, you you know the risk associated to this. So I think you're right. I think that's a, that's a really good point. And to kind of add to that as well, and the sort of age old personal data thing, it's a shame, really, because the, the, the benefits of sort of being there for your customers, especially for banks and, and insurance companies um, on social is, um, is great because we don't, it's not always that we want to talk about um, issues with our bank accounts. I mean, obviously, that's what you kind of would think we'd want to. But I've seen examples. Um, so I enabled um, or delivered a social media management solution for a South Africa's largest insurance company. Um, and um, in the sort of customer care department, we trained up something like 60 people how to do social um, via, sorry, customer care via social. And some of the cases that we saw were, were not actually to do with sort of um, uh, like, can you dig into my insurance policy? Here's my here's my policy number. It was actually some people were just sort of engaging, like, what time do your stores open? Um, how can I find this information? Um, I'm looking at buying one of your products. Where can I find some FAQs? And then also, um, you've got um, examples of where, well, there was one example where um, someone was really having a cumbersome time trying to articulate what happened in, unfortunately, a car crash. Um, and he actually used social as a means to record a video with his son's toy cars and send it to the brand, which they leveraged and actually it worked quite well for them. Ben, this is really interesting. I'm just wondering, and while we're in this banking space, because obviously you do get uh, disruptors coming along, is it just a case that it will take the right sort of revolutionary kind of CEO or CMO to kind of change and, and shake some of that bureaucracy? Or will they ultimately, even the kind of mavericks of these disruptors have their hands tied by, say, you know uh these sort of organizations and and ombudsman and financial organizations and whatnot yeah it's a very interesting question i think um generally you tend to get um sort of new cmos coming all the time a lot of the work that we do especially is we tend to a new cmo comes in and they've decided this is their agenda and this is what they want to drive um so we are the ones that tend to face the sort of um the 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 bureaucracy and the processes and, and how do we navigate around this i think to a certain extent, a CMO has, a, has an idea, but they don't necessarily, especially if they're new, understand the bureaucracy and processes that they need to go through in order to realize their idea, if that makes sense. But that's not to say that CMOs and CEOs are kind of out of the loop. I think they don't, they definitely are, especially sort of more modern, more sort of um, digital savvy um, people tend to sort of understand what they're, what, what, what they're, what they're facing. Um, but I think it, 
kind of go back to the question, it really depends on the regulations. I know with banking and insurance, there are a lot of sort of um, kind of conduct um, regulations that they have to abide by. So you can't come in and be like, okay, cool, I want to only be on social media, et cetera, et cetera. But what is really interesting in that front, especially with banking, is the legacy banks have seemed to be the ones that struggle with this more. But then you get things like Monzo and Revolut and Starling who tend to just be able to get away with being on, on social and these open channels more freely. And it kind of poses a question for me is, is it actually sort of more that these bigger banks just are too scared and are struggling to sort of, or they just read a, a, a regulation as a, a, a point blank no, and there actually are ways around it, or there's a way of investigating to do it. So I think it's sort of coming back to sort of CMOs and CEOs. I think that they... Yeah, I think they kind of have the ideas and I think there's an element of the processes and the red tape is there, but um, I think it, it, it depends and I think they just need to think about pushing the boundaries and don't take a risk as a no. Yeah, I was going to say, Ben, it sounds to me like there's a call for a bit of creativity there, you know, like, like the creativity that's shown to get around these barriers. I mean... How long, I suppose, uh, to go back to the overarching question, how long can these big institutions use this as an excuse? Because sooner or later, it stands to reason that there has to be a point where the times do have to change, regulations do have to change, as you'd expect with uh, political legislation around rules governing digital and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think it's um, it's definitely is interesting to see how, how that could change because regulations will have to change as the world moves forward. I mean, I think given sort of the pandemic and everyone going to lockdown, it thrust us all into a new, like, you know, the new normal, um, as we all tend to say, but the sort of that way and the, the behaviour, and I think kind of the, the regulations sort of need to be able to allow these big companies to have this level of flexibility because it's just going to be really frustrating and they are just going to be keep hitting the ceiling and just struggle. And the bigger banks will will struggle to sort of keep customers and, and, and if they're not there and they're not be able to help them, etc. I think it's just, it, it's, it becomes a bit frustrating for them. So I think it's very interesting to see how it will change. And I think um, it's very interesting that on that creativity point, because I think if there is a level of creativity and, okay, we have a risk associated to this, but what is a workaround, a safe workaround, sorry, may I add, um, then um, I think that's quite a good mix to start experimenting and, and seeing where where um, where things can happen for these for these regulated industries. I think, I think that's a really interesting point and I completely agree with what Thea said. It sounds like the industry is due some creativity. I can't help but think if they're open to advertising on TV and out of home, which they are, then social is a logical next step that, you know, perhaps we see like some companies who maybe aren't able to talk about their regular products because of regulations or misconceptions or whatnot, and then actually use it to take a completely different approach that might be more lifestyle focused or about, you know, how people feel about a product instead of what they actually do with it. But is is there a way of adapting those processes and removing some of the red tape or or is that not not a possibility or harder than it sounds i think i mean i think yes and no and obviously it really depends on the organization but i think to your point about sort of kind of the creativity and, and kind of the being on social i think um that there is it's uh, like to add to my previous point it's not that these people are not on social they are there that they, they have social media managers or 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 um, VPs that are sort of responsible for driving this presence. I think it's just become sort of a, we are there to advertise, like we pay posts on Facebook and we boost posts on yeah. Facebook, sorry. And that's all. But I think 
there is the, the there, there there are companies and these bigger companies. Um, I can't give any names, but that are doing this. That they are sort of starting to do this. And I think the key thing is, in order to sort of navigate around some of those red tape processes, is um, or sorry, or to fast track it, um, is just understanding um, or demonstrating the value that it's going to provide. So think about your agenda, think about the sort of messages you're trying to land because you don't have to, you're not convincing your consumers that you're the best brand. You're trying to convince your leadership that this is the best thing to do for the brand. So understanding or articulating the value and pulling together really what a case of why you should be on social. And I think a key as well is being able to demonstrate that you have the guidelines in place and you have the mechanisms in place to control, to control it, to mitigate the risks that are associated, um, probably have an answer to the data question because that will most likely pop up. Um, and then articulate that in a way that sort of helps demonstrate the value that being on social will drive. So whether it's social customer care for banking or whether it's for sort of one-to-one messaging for a retail app, what benefits going to drive? How are you going to mitigate those risks? And what are the guidelines? What can I say? When should I not respond? How do I deal with spammers or trolls? Um, what happens if a journalist tries to attack us because there's an article breaking? All of that sort of stuff. If you have, if you prove you've got those mechanisms in place, I feel that it's it, it's a lot smoother through these processes and, and helps you fast track and get the the required approvals. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Taking preventative measures and also what you said about having to, you know, it's not just about proving this to your customers. You actually have to go a step before that and, and prove it to your your higher-ups first, which I think is interesting. Yes, definitely. It's something I tend to do a lot for my clients. <laughs> ben, on the subject of uh, customers, what have you seen be the general trends? Do customers tend to kind of move away from brands, not necessarily just in banking, but all brands that can't keep up? Or is there still a degree of sort of brand loyalty and forgiveness there, do you think? I think that's a very... Tricky question to answer. Um, I think so. I think if to use some previous examples um, over the past year, I think it, it's kind of shown that unfortunately, yes, people are so quick to drop brands that aren't able to keep up with the curve. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it or, or if any of the listeners have experienced it, but probably have. But when you do something, you, you sort of engage with a brand or you buy something, but then the service that you receive afterwards, no matter what channel, is pretty sort of poor your esteem is going to drop of that brand and you're going to be like, I'm never going to use that brand again. Um, I think, unfortunately, given the, the again, to bring the pandemic in, um, the conversation, but I think it's quite poignant, is um, the, the, the consumer behaviour completely changed. It was turned on its head. We, we can't walk down the street anymore and go, ah, oh, actually, I need to pop into Top Man because I just want to get a plain white T-shirt. Um, it's more of a, I'm at home, I'm probably in my pyjamas all day, um, but I would quite like a new white T-shirt. Where do I get a white T-shirt from? And then you sort of end up going on um, another website or something. Or like I said, my example, I get a, 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 an email about a sale and I'll go and buy it from there because, oh, I need a white T-shirt. So I think I think brands can be doing, um, especially at the moment, a lot more to sort of, um, not all, some brands are doing it well, but I think brands need to be mindful um, of sort of ensuring that you are sustaining or sort of engaging with your customer base to continue building the advocacy and it's not just things like sales and offers, etc. I think it's being engaging, being there for them, um, sort of responding fast enough to queries so that someone like leaves with a positive experience. So I think at the moment, um, a positive experience, um, given the times, goes a really long way. And um, I think it, yeah, I think I think it's it's sort of all kind of wrapped up into into sort of your positive experiences and it's kind of how you how you deal with it. I think. Unfortunately, for sort of some of the large 
larger brands, it's difficult or sort of more established brands on the high street. It is more difficult to ride on success. To go back to my example of you're walking down a high street and you think I just need to pop into somewhere, we've now shifted as consumers to I need to look for something specific. Um, so uh, you, you can't just sit and wait for customers to roll in. Um, you you need to be able to sort of be there and offer and advertise and also just be ahead of the curve. To go right back to the question, unfortunately, I do think customers um, do start to drop if you if you aren't engaging them and keeping their attention. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point and. I mean, we've, so we've talked a little bit about the risks in adopting new tech and, and being on social, but what about the risks of not doing it for brands and multinationals that think that they are bigger than this medium? So I think, yes, I mean, to go back to the risk of not being on social, I think definitely at the moment it is, actually, I'll go back when I was first, when I first started um, sort of interviewing for jobs after I finished uni, I had an interview with someone and they asked me this question and they said something about sort of social media, it was a social media um, agency. And the, the interviewer asked me, um, what do you think the risks are? <clears throat> what, is it, what do you think the benefits are of not being on social or something along those lines? And mm-hmm. I answered thinking at the time in my 21 year old self about sort of banks might be difficult, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they replied back and said, actually, I think the risks of not being on social wholly outweigh the risks of being on social because yeah. the way that consumers are, and to go back to my previous example of sort of engagement and, and, and reaction, um, it's sort of mm-hmm. understanding that this brand is is there, but also you can reach out to them and you can have that personal level or personal sort of conversation with them. I think you don't know what the future holds. I think um, it, it's always worth thinking about your retaining your customer base, nurturing and treating them like customers, like the best customer, um, <clears throat> letting them know that you're here for them. And then through that positive engagement and through that rapport that you build with them, they will come back to you and buy again. As I mentioned, I've been buying I bought three or four times from the same brand over the past <laughs> the past year because they keep telling me the sales on. Um, but uh, it's not just because of the sales, it's because even if I'm looking at buying new clothes, they're the ones that pop in my head because I see them a lot. I get their sponsored ads on Instagram and I'm, I'm, so I'm like, okay, yeah, actually I'll, I'll go back to that website and I'll buy it again. So I think it does serve as a cautionary tale. And I think there's a point here about sort of being ready to innovate because there is there is uncertainty and we don't know what could happen in the future. Yeah, no, very, very good point. It just goes to show it can happen to anyone seeing huge companies that, that you think will be there forever falling foul to this kind of thing. I mean, do you see there being more casualties like this on the high streets um, or are any other industries perhaps more at risk than than retail? Potentially. I think it's hard to say it. Going back to that is that future is really uncertain. I do think that retail is at higher is, is the higher risk at the moment because retail um, tends to, depending on the products that you sell, it's not essential as classified by the government at the moment. So you can't go into the shops and just sort of drop five pounds on something that you needlessly need to buy. Um, but I think at the moment, people have no choice but to buy online. Um, and I think that as a consumer, you think about who would you buy from? And when you're sitting in front of your screen you and you think, oh, I need to go buy something. At the moment, if I had to go and sort of browse for presents for my parents online, I got so bored so quickly because it was A, too much didn't really know what I was looking for. And just looking online is a completely different um, sort of uh, experience. So yeah. I think that retail definitely is a higher risk at the moment. Um, and I think 
if you're able to sort of do innovative things on social, so potentially maybe using TikTok or um, doing something like campaigns, home campaigns or something on Instagram, et cetera, keep these people engaged, link it to your um, e-commerce sites. Um, so and you, you could sort of, again, build that, build that rapport, advertise that you're there um, and also um, be able to sell, but then deliver quickly. Um, if there's issues, let, enable returns quickly, et cetera. I think all of that for retail would help to provide the, the overall um, experience. And then I think in terms of that to broaden it out from retail, I think um, industries at risk, I think there's something to say here about larger financial institutions and the disruptors in the financial space. I do think that um, there are, as mentioned before, like Starling, Revolut, uh, Monzo, there's a lot of like sort of challenger banks that uh, tend to sort of come out there. The, the services they offer are quicker, they're nimbler. Um, they're, so it's really easy to just do small things like freeze your card or change your PIN. Um, so I think that's something that to say that there is potentially something that big big banks need to do something in order to ensure that they're engaging, especially with the younger cons- customer base. Um, and interestingly, the newer companies um, in the sort of like the Monzos, et cetera, they're ready to have online conversations with you in the forms of chatbots or um, resolving something. You can tweet them, you can get an answer, et cetera, which I think some of the bigger yeah. banks, given the risks we discussed earlier, struggle to maybe cater for. No, I think that's that's a really good point. I mean, wouldn't you think that Monzo, for example, being able to do that would let them see that it that it's possible for a bank. I mean, touch wood, I haven't heard of any like major security breaches happening for them. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting point. I think I kind of ask myself that quite a lot of the time. I think these the bigger banks, they do see the value in this and they do see the need. And I think it really goes back to the CMOs and the people who are driving this and sort of saying or banging on the door and saying, we need to be on social because we're losing customers to these smaller, more nimble banks. But it goes down to that red tape and it's, we are bigger, we are multinational, um, we um, have so much more risks involved. And that lengthy process just means that things are done in a bitty manner. And it's not so easy to quickly just like sort of plug and play. It's more of a let's plug, let's test, let's do situational testing, let's do a crisis management testing, et cetera, et cetera. And it just, it, it's just a bit slower. In, in an ideal world, and I know it's sort of a magic wand situation, but I mean, if you were to say to uh, your clients or some of the companies you work for or companies in the in the broader sense to focus on a particular area of social and to I don't mean put all your chips on it but if you could only do one thing do this what would that be in your opinion does it come down to say uh, Instagram content is it instant messaging because I see a lot with social media there's definitely become a hierarchy of needs in a way and of, of different tools of uh, you know instant messaging has obviously become instrumental during the pandemic I think that to the, to the latter point that there is a plethora of social channels out there or <clears throat> modern channels uh, that sort of it, the, the landscape seems to ever be ever changing and I think depending on your industry I think you need to find the one that's right for you and the platform that works the best but ultimately to answer the question um, I think sort of the advice that I give is um, don't be scared to dip your toes in the water uh, I think it's sort of social is changing on the daily. Um, I mean, one minute, everyone's doing dance challenges um, for the weekend on TikTok. And the next thing, everyone's singing sea, sh- sea shanties. So it's like it changes so quickly um, that I think that as a brand, you need to be able to sort of have that flexibility, but also the confidence to, to dip your toes in the water and just think, I'm going to try this and I'm going to see how it works. But on the other side, I think that 
you should, as a brand, independent, especially if you're regulated, don't be scared to dip your toes in the water, but have the mechanisms in place in order to cast the net out, but be able to reel it back in fast should you need to. So I always advise clients when I'm doing social media management or social media platforms um, with, with clients, I always encourage them to, to enable something which we call a kill switch, which is essentially like a crisis button that um, if, you're, if you've got posts planned all month going out every Friday um, or something along those lines, if there is an event where something has gone wrong for the brand, and that's not necessarily on social, it could be on news, something broke, um, or an environmental event, um, you've got this kill switch. You're able to, at the click of a button, just block anything from going out because it's a sensitive situation and you can basically just pause. So I think don't be scared to dip your toes in the water, but have the mechanisms in place to in order to control these situations. I do think social is an excellent place to experiment, but as long as you have these mechanisms in place and be able to monitor it quite closely and reel back if it's not working. And to that point, I think if someone is potentially thinking about foraying into social but a bit scared, I'd probably advise them to go use social listening first because social listening is a powerful research tool. You uh, Again, sort of you can cast that net out. I call it the focus group of the internet. So you can start to understand and maybe your competitors, what, what are they doing on social? Also, how are consumers receiving it, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can use that to kind of build up your own case to yourself or to your team of why you should maybe be doing it. Then you can cast your own net out, monitor it by social listening, and then you can reel back in should you need to. That's how I uh, would advise. I'm a bit long-winded, but that's how I would do it. No, I think that's a really nice way of phrasing it, actually, because we're probably like guilty of this. But when it's second nature to us, we sort of default to you know judging brands who aren't doing social um already or doing it well enough and you know you end up coming out with okay well you know you just need to get out there and try this and do that and that can be a bit daunting for some industries that haven't done it before so i think definitely having like those mechanisms in place as you say is is a really nice way to make sure you're not just going out into the wilderness completely on your own like you've you've got you've set up some boundaries and and some get out of jail free cards which i think is is a, a better way to look at it anyway it says here, Ben, that you've you've said in the past that social commerce is a buzzword. Can you explain that a little bit and you know where you see social commerce going? You know, it says here, can you see it being the future of marketing or is it just a pipe dream, uh, perhaps like VR? So it's I think it's really interesting and I think it's it's one to watch. Maybe kind of I shouldn't should be a bit more careful about jumping straight into sort of buzzword, are you saying it's buzzword? But I do think that um, given the latest sort of news and sort of the data breaches and sort of the fact that people are also looking to some of these larger social networks as um, data miners, people tend to be a bit more skeptical about providing financial data to these um, to these providers. So I do think there's an element of skepticism from 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 audiences. I think generally um, as well, the Gen Z um, sort of the audiences tend to be really skeptical of what data they put. They tend to reject sort of traditional social media, and um, I think it might take a while to lift off. I'm not. Uh, I may be wrong, but um, I do think that it's it's something that it, it could work. It might not work, but ultimately, I think it goes down to the industry that's trying to do it, and also the sort of the, the brand that is, because I think it's an excellent platform for um, smaller retailers who are looking to start out and they haven't got the ability to sort of set up a kind of e-commerce platform, or expensive e-commerce platform, and a shop front, etc. And kind of doing that a bit like Depop, I think it's it could be a very good sort of. Um, opportunity for people to start out and start selling and also for circular economy in a sustainable fashion. 
Um, but I think that sort of other products, it might it might take a little bit longer. Like beauty products, I don't think, unless it's a sort of proven beauty product that someone's tried multiple times or depending on the seller, it would be different. So I don't know. It's kind of like... I think I think there are things in social that bigger brands could be doing that are more of more value at the moment before kind of dipping their toes in the water with social commerce. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really interesting point, especially what you said about Gen Z audiences because they are very very aware. But I don't know. In in my experience with things like shopping via Instagram, you can be aware of it and you can almost resent it just how how targeted and how much like detail they have about you. But I, I think it works in spite of that. You mentioned beauty products. So there's this foundation that's been marketed so, so much. Like all you see is this advert for foundation. And it's something that you buy completely without trying, which is very unusual for a beauty product most people wouldn't go for. But the sheer exposure, the amount of money they've pumped into these ads and making people go, oh, do you know what? I just have to see what all the fuss is about. I've seen it that many times. And they just buy it anyway. And you'll hate yourself for it. But you will do it. I think that's uh, to build on that. I think, yeah, really, really good point. I think that sort of another thing about the Instagram and kind of Instagram commerce is I don't know about you guys, but the sort of sponsored ads for shopping that I go on Instagram, I don't recognise the brands, and um, it might maybe it's my age or some of my experience, but I tend to be a little bit more sort of skeptical of buying from people that I don't know, especially with e-commerce. I'm very much more like a material person. I like to go and see it and know that it's not going to fall apart after five minutes. And I see that the, the, a lot of the brands I get uh, tend to sort of, um, yeah, I don't recognize them. The stuff looks great and I do, I click on it and I kind of go on, but I wouldn't be so quick to buy it because I haven't seen it or tested it or read reviews yet. You mentioned Gen Z um, a couple of minutes ago, Ben, and that's interesting because I just realized that's sort of a subject we've not touched on. Do you think there's a generational challenge that a lot of brands face that we don't really give enough attention to in terms of... We're used to marketing to different demographics, but it's so splintered now in the way that you sort of market to these demographics. There really are divides, aren't there, between certain platforms of where different audiences are. So it seems like you have to become a kind of, you have to serve everyone almost. Yeah, exactly. I think sort of on the Gen Z point and the the different sort of category of, of kind of consumers, I think... It changes so rapidly in terms of sort of um, consumer behavior. I think if I only think back to 10 years ago, the way that we sort of interacted with brands and the way I interacted with social media was completely different to how it's gone now. And I think Gen Z is a good example because they tend to sort of, and I'm only just starting sort of kind of researching into Gen Z, but they tend to kind of reject sort of the traditional, as I mentioned earlier, social media sort of channels and targeting, etc. They tend to actually resent it. Even influencers, I think, are starting to become a bit, sort of people are so quick to be like, oh, no. Um, and they, the way they interact with media in, in, a, in a whole is, is, a, is a lot sort of different. You have to captivate them really quickly and you have to sort of um, do things that are sort of very innovative, etc. Um, but I think kind of, yeah, sort of going to or, or ensuring that you're meeting the, the sort of categories, but going back to the point of consumer behavior, I think it's it's actually looking internally for an organization, looking at the operating model and the way that you um, are sort of facilitating this change and being able to adapt to, to different age groups. Um, I think being able to sort of have um, change at the forefront of your mind and being able to flex 
um, is able to sort of kind of help you stay ahead of the curve and start adopting uh, these, these consumer behaviors and reacting to trends and leveraging them as well. Personally, from my work and the way that I to kind of help adapt to these different audiences, I think it's actually look internally and look at what you've got and the flexibility that you have to, in order to change and just sort of like set a new course and how quickly you can do that. And ultimately, Ben, does there become a point, do you think, where, I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is we, we often talk about technology as a speeding car is there a point where that maybe becomes almost so fast for even the most disruptive brands where the sort of consumer want and consumer need gets to such a pace that it becomes not just hard for the major regulated companies to catch up but for for nearly everybody because i I would say that the difference is isn't it the things that you can do personally on social and and the hacks that you can find and that we find as agencies often uh like you said it moves at an incredible pace yeah i think that is a a real sort of yeah it's like a futuristic question it's almost like when is it the point that consumer behavior is moving at such a pace that we will not be able to keep up uh, or there is nothing that provides you with the ability to keep up? These like new things come out to the fore, people start using it and then there is a level of catch up. And unfortunately, I think technology, especially for management platforms, they will need, they, they work, they're doing their best, but it's hard to say what's going to pick up and what's not going to pick up. So yeah. it's, 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 it's a really interesting question. I actually don't think I, I can sort of fully answer it. I think, I don't know. I think it's just one to watch. I think hopefully there will never be a point where we can't keep up with consumer behavior because then you'll have like super consumers and they'll just be super powerful and yeah, like dictators in consumer world. But um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's an interesting one. I think it's very interesting. But tech is also exponential. So the stuff that tech's able to do now is is pretty, pretty insane. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point about your management tools. I actually sometimes think that social platforms don't necessarily want to keep them in the loop with these features or don't encourage people using them over using the platforms natively because, you know, in the past they've, they've done the opposite. They've like removed a feature that's already existing from like platforms like Sprout Social and Hootsuite and just like stopped giving them access through their API. So there's maybe a bit of a motive there. And to your point, Theo, I actually saw um, a bit of a debate happening in a, in a TikTok comment section the other day about how Gen Z is actually making and then killing jokes and trends at such a pace that a lot of brands are struggling to get involved. And there's this sort of banter between like the millennials and the Gen Z on the platform. And millennials are saying, you know what, fair play, that was actually a really big problem for us. You're finding a way to avoid it. So it might not be that um, that far off in the future. It's going to make all our jobs a lot harder, but maybe there's a lesson in there somewhere. Bad news for us. <laughs> Edging nearer and nearer to a sort of dystopian generational kind of face-off, aren't we? And they have all the power. We just have to let them lead. But, but I think to, to that point, though, how what it, it's that, like here I am talking about sort of dip your toes in the water and be on social, but what is it? Like how many times have you seen something on a social channel or seen a client do something and you kind of it just bombs and you just feel so sorry for them because you're like oh no you tried but you just didn't quite get it because consumer behavior is just so tricky to put your finger on and eve to your point i think yeah like shooting down jokes i think like the way things sometimes have landed like and it's the way it's just gone so badly and then they just ripped to shreds and that goes back to the risk of being exposed on social it's yeah you can't like it feels like a bit of a cop-out for me because it is a really tricky thing to try and explain to someone yeah, it might feel like a cop out, but my I would always say the best way to tackle that is to hire someone 
for whom this is instinctual so they don't even have to try and figure it out that is that is the easiest way to get around it to be honest that is a very very good point cue everyone hiring gen z's as their social media managers <laughs> yeah they could do a lot worse certainly goes back to that idea of social listening and, and working with talent like we say but it seems like a great place to uh end the conversation ben thank you yeah. so much for joining us no worries thank at all yes thank you thank you so much for having me always a pleasure great to be here. Yeah. i really hope you enjoyed that episode tune in next week for the usual social in six and keep locked on the podcast the week after where we'll be speaking with Yulia Alexandrova from Made.com and Jackie Climes of Pinterest. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young and produced by Ollie Thompson. 